Ezra chapter 10. It's the, the last chapter in, in this book. We're going to continue in the, in the period of exile. It's just, I hope it's interesting to you. I find it just fascinating just seeing how God maintained that remnant and brought them back. And it all points to Messiah, to Jesus coming. That, that if, you know, Satan thinks I've conquered this nation, they've fallen and they've been scattered and God brought them back so that those promises that he, that he made, going back to, to David and to Moses and even to Abraham, might be fulfilled and that nothing thwarts the, the plan of God. So we'll, we'll continue in, into Nehemiah, uh, but not next week. I'm probably going to be out of town next week, and so one of our illustrious uh, class members, uh, Brother Bob Whitmire, has, he said yes, to, to fill in for me next week. So you'll want, and this was originally Bob's class. I mean, like before I taught, Bob taught it. So, and we were stuck in that corner over there. Uh, so you'll, you'll want to be here. Ezra chapter 10, starting in verse 1. While, es, while Ezra prayed and made confession weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra rose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said, so they took the oath. In some ways, I, I read this last chapter and think, oh, I wish it ended some other way. I mean, this is kind of a hard chapter, difficult. Uh, uh, things are going on. But, but I think there's, there's plenty that we can learn about God and, and plenty of things that we can glean from, from these verses and it kind of goes along with, with Corey's message this morning from Psalm 46 that there is a word of hope. And, and just like the exiles, uh, and they, they've, they've been delivered from Babylon. They've gone back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple, but then they've fallen into the very sin that their forefathers fell into. And just kind of, it, when, when they look around, maybe thinking uh, uh, a hopelessness that we can relate to that when we look strictly from uh, a, a human standpoint and think, because we, we want to fix things. We want to make everything right. And, and it's, 
and, and sometimes God uses us to fix things. But He is ultimately in control, and He is the only one who can fix it permanently and restore that fellowship that was lost between men and women, boys and girls, and God when sin entered the world during the gar at the, the Garden of Eden. And so it's, there is a, a message of hope here. Even though Israel is in it up to their ears, they are in a big pickle. But God sent Ezra at the perfect time. You know, some 58, 52, 55 years after the temple was rebuilt, and they start doing the very things that they were doing before. Ezra gets there with this new group of, of returning uh, exiles, and, and it says that, that after they had, had praised the Lord and, and offered these sacrifices when they entered in, into Jerusalem and, and, and began serving there at the temple, the officials came and said, we have not separated ourselves from the people of the land like we should have. And, and Ezra fell on his, on his face and he lifted his hands to God and he said, I, I'm ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you that, that the sin was that bad and that blatant. Can we look around just our nation and see that sort of blatant not just blatant, but celebrated sin, sin that's, that's things that are an abomination to God that, that now our society wants to celebrate. And, and, and Ezra is in the, the same type of situation. He, he immediately prays. Look at, look at the results of his prayer, uh, the impact of, of his prayer. We, we, Matthew Henry says, we see a happy influence the good example, examples of the great ones have on others. You know, Ezra is, was praying to, to God because of this, this situation. He is a, a priest and a scribe, and they say, this is what we're doing. And it's not just the normal Israelite. It's the leading men, the officials, the chief men have been foremost in this sin of marrying these foreign wives that, that God had forbidden them to marry. And, and they're even having children. And, and Ezra fell down and, and repented. But look, look at what happens. As he's praying, a, a, a great congregation or assembly of men and women gather around him. So, so it struck me God is, is, is providing this example to Israel. God is leading them to repentance. But how many people did it take to start this action? One. You know, it's, 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 it's that old ad, adage, the, 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 the impact, the difference that one can make. And, and Ezra 
they, they come to him, tell him the situation. He falls on his knees and, he's, and he makes this public prayer initially. And then while he's, that's, that's what, how chapter 10 begins. While he was praying, making confession, weeping, casting himself down, a, a, a great assembly gathered to him and that they wept bitterly. Ezra was, was told of their sin. He prays a, a prayer of, of repentance and asking forgiveness and saying, God, we, we don't deserve this. We, 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 you just brought us out and for a brief moment showed us your favor and now we've, 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 we've sinned again. And, and it's not just, maybe sin doesn't... Um, Tell the whole, we've been disobedient, we've been unfaithful, we, we have violated your statutes and your commandments, we have forsaken you, oh, oh God. And, and, he, and as he prays, all of these, uh, these people gather around him. It, it started with one person, God putting that on Ezra's heart, leading him back. And, and now the, the nation is... Is, is gathering around him, and they are agreeing with him. Look what Shechaniah says, one of the, one of the priests. He said, we've, we've broken faith with our God, and we've married foreign women from peoples. We have sinned, but don't skip the but, but there is hope. It's hard to put everything together, it's hard for me to put everything together that's happening in the world today. You have COVID-19, you have the political unrest, the, the racial unrest, you have now the stuff with, with uh, uh, happening in Afghanistan that it's like, we might as well have not done anything, we've wasted 20 years. It's hard to put all of that stuff in perspective and know how to, to digest it. But one thing is for certain that we have hope. What is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is that, that God is in control and he, nothing will thwart him from bringing about the accomplishment of his will. We want it to be within and including the United States of America. Why? Well, it'd just be a whole lot easier on us if it was. You know, I, I think we are spoiled to, you know, go back to 1622. You know, coming up on 400 years, if I didn't totally blow the date, of when the pilgrims arrived. You know, almost 400 years that, that we've been spoiled of one nation under God. But believers all over the world save, you know, our nation and, and at times parts of Europe and, 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 and South America and Canada, you know, save parts of history. Most believers have lived in the sort of turmoil that's going on in, in the Middle East today. And even in, in other non-United States of America nations. 
So, so, so we, we have been spoiled. And we don't want to throw that away. But our nation is in the same situation as Israel in that our sin is blatant. It's celebrated now, the sinfulness of our nation. And if we don't repent like the children of Israel, you know, God does not need us. You know, thankfully, He chooses to, to use us and, and has blessed us. But, but God has to be separated from sin. It's hard to get all of that in, you know, you know this pea brain. You know, maybe, maybe you have it worked out and, and, and have it, well, it's, it's like this. But the, the main point is, just like Shekinah says, even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. There is hope for the United States of America. But you got to kind of even go a little bit finer than that because Israel was a covenant nation. God chose Israel from all of the nations to bless them, but also to make them a blessing on the whole world by sending Messiah from Israel. As much as it pains me, the United States of America is not a covenant nation. What is the covenant people, God's covenant people today? It is the church. In many cases, the church is just as guilty now in 21st century America, the world, of doing these very things that Israel did 2,500 years ago. Right now, the United Methodist Church is in this big fight over what? Ordaining gay ministers... It's celebrating homosexual marriages. I mean, think about that. That they said, no, it's okay. This is old. This is an old book, and we're, we're just beyond all of that. That is not true. And, and many denominations have, have fought that battle, and some of them have, 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 have said, it's okay. For you to live in this sin, we will we come and we will celebrate your homosexual marriage in our church. And if we think that Baptists will never face that situation, we're wrong. And the same thing with abortion, that many, many churches will, will accept, you know, the killing of the, of the unborn. And I've even been in this building, it might have been in this room where somebody said, I just think it's a, a, a woman's right. So, so we're, we're still faced with the same things that Israel was. But there is hope. Their hope was in, in their God, our God, the only God. But in order to, to, to receive that hope, they had to repent of their sins. And... and, and so that's the clear teaching is, is that as individuals, we, we have to repent of our sins. Ezra had not committed this sin. 
Shechaniah had not committed the sin, but if we read the whole chapter and when we get to the end and, and Carla starts reading all the names, we're going to come across uh, the son of Shehael, that Ezra's daddy was probably one of the ones who had taken a foreign wife. Now, if your, your son, your daughter, your father, your mother, your uncle has committed this sin, then it's kind of like, well, it's okay for them, you know, because I love them. But he doesn't, Shechaniah doesn't, doesn't say, doesn't try to excuse their sin. We are guilty. We've done this. We've broken faith with our God. All right, now we get into the fun part or the difficult part of how do they deal with this? How do you deal with sin? You, you, what do you do? How do you deal with sin? Okay, you repent, you confess, which is like Mike was saying last week, it's not just saying it, but it's like putting that away, not, not doing that anymore. Now, are we 100% successful in doing that? Okay, I'm not. We're not going to get into percentages even. But, I mean, a baseball player can make, you know what, I, I can't even remember the, how many digits it is, but tens of twenties, millions of dollars a year if he is successful one-third of the, the time, you know. If you can bat 333, oh, my gosh, yeah. And, and are we even that successful when it comes to true repentance and putting it away? You know, but the hope is God forgives us if we are sincere and, and we repent. So let's see what, what they do. Ezra says, make an oath, the leading men of the priests, the Levites, and all of Israel, they take an oath that they will do this. Verse 6, Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God, went to the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Elishib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithless, faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the turned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property, property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. So Ezra had started praying publicly when, when the officials came to him and said, the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the leading men have not separated themselves from the, from, the, from the people. They have begun marrying the daughters, giving their sons uh, to, to, to marry the, their daughters. He had immediately right where he stood, it seems, he began to pray. And, 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 and after he prayed, while he was praying, this assembly came. Shechaniah spoke to them. Then what does Ezra do? He leaves that public area and he goes inside the temple to this certain chamber. One, one, one writer I was reading said he didn't, want, he didn't do this for a media event. He... he he went into a private chamber and he continued his prayer. 
He, he wasn't doing this just so the people would, would see him. He began praying that way because it hit him so hard like a ton of bricks that we thought we were coming back to help them continue worshiping and expand the worshiping in the temple. And we get here, and, and lo and behold, the people are doing just what God has sent to Babylon to begin with. And he just spontaneously, you know, fell to his knees and, and, and prayed. But then as they came and, and, and they began to agree with him, then Ezra goes inside the, the it seems, well, before the house of the Lord, he goes inside the temple and, he, and then he prays all night mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And then the next day they, they make this proclamation and said, everyone needs to come to Israel, what is it, within three days? Yes, within three days. And if they don't, they're going to forfeit their, 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 their land, their, their place within the congregation. But go back just a little bit. At the end of verse 6, he's mourning over the faithlessness of exiles. Do we, do I view my sin as being faithlessness toward God, toward disobedience? You know, faithless, faithfulness is so many times equated with, with marriage and, and fidelity. And do, do, do I equate my sinfulness, the same thing that I struggle with maybe over and over and over as, as being unfaithful to the Lord? Or have we become hardened to where it's just a stumble or a misstep? Just a question. How do I view my sin? Is it unfaithfulness, faithlessness, disobedience, or is it just a, a stumble? Ezra makes, leaves no doubt that, you know, it's sin is a faithlessness and unfaithfulness to God, and he is mourning over it like, like you would mourn the loss of a, of a loved one. Okay, verse 9. I, I like this part, the, the, the exile period, um, because it's, with archaeology and, and history and things, you, and, and Ezra is very good about telling us when things happened. And so there, there are scholars that they will put a date, and you, you're going to find, you know, variations, because some people, they just like to argue, and they're going to, oh, well, if, if this guy says it happened on this day, then I'm going to pick this day because I am not going to agree with him. But, but they'll put dates. And, and so in Dr. Constable's notes, he says that this happened, verse 9, they, all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. He says that is December the 19th, 458 B.C. Okay, sorry. That's cool to me. It's like, you know, remembering a, a day, you know whether it's September 11th or, or another day that they actually have it dated. 
it kind of just makes it seem more real that it's like, oh, it happened on this day. This wasn't just some, you know, make-believe account. Uh, okay, the end, right there, in the, let's start again in verse 9. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. That's how they know December 19th. 458 B.C. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter. They're trembling because of, of the, the sin that the nation and individuals has, has, uh, ha have, have done and because of the heavy rain, that it's, it's, it's a rainy season then. But you also, God had promised them when, when you repent, I will send the rain. And so it's kind of like he's, he's sent the rain to bless the, 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 the earth. Even though this is in the non-growing season, that, that still we know rain is important then. So they're trembling. It's raining because, and they're trembling because of their, their sin, but also sitting out in the rain. They, they have taken their condition seriously to, to assemble and, and sit out in this rain. Verse 10, And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, it is so we must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ahaziel, and, ha and, and Jahaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabithai, the Levite, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priests selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to the fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine this matter, and on the first day of the first month, they, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. So, so they start, then they end, then Dr. Constable says on March 27th, 456 B.C., Three months later, that they that they uh, that they complete this this process. Verses eighteen through forty three give us a list of the men who had married foreign wives. Most commentary that seemed counted hundred and thirteen. I think there may be two names that are repeated, and so. One that I read counted 111, and I think he, he, let, he said, well, Bani, you can't count him twice, and, and maybe Jehiel is in there twice. Well, there could be two Bani's, and there could be two Jehiel's, you know. There's, yes, ma'am. Okay, 
there's only 113 listed here. Doesn't seem like much, does it? I mean, when the first group of exiles went back, there were 50,000. And then when, when Ezra returned, there were probably with men, women, and children, maybe five, 6,000. So you're talking about 113. You can do the math because I can't do it right now and off the top of my head, but, you know, 10%, say there's 70,000 people, 10% would be um, 7,000, 1% would be 700. So it would be, you know, one-tenth of 1% 1 would be uh, 70. So it would be like 1.5% of 1%, a very small amount. Or did they not list everybody's names? We, you know, he doesn't say, and this was all. The, it says, now there were found some of the sons of the priests. So you got priests. And then verse 20, of the Levites, of the gatekeepers, and then the sons of, of Israel who, who had done this. So was it only 113 or was it, you know, was it, was it more? We don't, we don't really know. Possibly. Could it, I mean, you could have more like that. Commentary that it says 113 families out of approximately 29,000. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know where they get you know, 113 families and then, you know, some families are big. So, but remember, Paul said it just takes a little leaven to leaven the whole loaf. And, and that leaven is kind of a... a, a I should have looked up the word. It's not a metaphor, but an example, a symbol of sin, you know, and just a little bit of love, a little bit of sin, and they they want it none. That this is why God sent us into exile, you know, that they had not been faithful to what God had told them, told through Moses, in 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 Deuteronomy seven. Don't make covenants with them. Don't make contracts. Don't take their their daughters for your sons. Don't give your daughters to their sons and that you're to drive them out completely. And they, even from the beginning, Israel had, had not done that. It's kind of interesting, some, just a, a, little, a, a little side note if you want to, uh, to, to look at it, but many think that Ezra wrote Psalm 119, uh, the, the longest book in the Bible, really, or, or chapter in the Bible, and that several of the verses, 22, 39, 42, 51, mention his facing scorn and ridicule from the leaders, that, that, that we see that, that Israel supported him. But if, that, you know, if that's true, and he actually wrote Psalm 119, that, that uh, you know, some still did not want to do this. And, and we have the list there of, of these two priests and then two Levites who, who supported them. But it's, you know, it's, it's a difficult passage because he, they're saying you have to put them away. And it, that... Did they put them away? Do 
divorce them. It was divorce them, put them out, not not kill them. Um, that that put them away. And it's like, well, what what does this mean? That that it's the lesser of two evils. That that God hates divorce. The marriages were illegal in Israel to begin with because of Deuteronomy 24 that said you shall not, you know, that, that Moses gave them clear instructions. So on the one hand, it was an, an illegal marriage. And it's like, well, well, does that mean that today if, 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 if someone is married to an unbeliever that this gives them an out? Well, no. I mean, Paul is, is clear about that, that and, and, and writing to the Corinthians where he says, if, you know, a brother is married to an, an unbeliever, he, you know, or a woman is married to an unbeliever, they shall not put them out to divorce them, but that they, they should stay with him. Now, if they leave, that's a, another matter. So it's, it's, it's difficult because it's like, they're saying they, you know, put them out, but they had to remove themselves from, uh, from, from this, this sin, this sinful situation. You know, you, if, if we were at the other end of the building and we were in that age group, you probably don't want to go back through high school or your teenage years, but, you know, just pretend that you do. If we were down there... An example or a close illustration would be, you know, te teaching kids, be careful who you date, be careful who you, who, who you marry, that it should, you should marry a believer. But you, I, think, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to take it a couple of steps further and say, be careful who you hang around with. Don't associate with these. You're right. It, yeah. I, I, I had times in my life when when my father said, you're not hanging around with those guys again, and there was really good reason. And at the time, I didn't like it, but I'm glad that he, you know, did that because it's like, I mean, there's like four or five of them that are dead now. And it's like, okay, that, he, like my, I was blessed having a godly Christian father and mother. And, you know, it was like, nope. And I knew there were consequences if I disobeyed. I mean, it's, you know, kind of the, uh, the paddling generation versus the, the timeout generation that maybe you've seen the different posts on. Um, <laughs> so, Ezra, it, and, and look how it ends. It, you kind of want this, okay, everything works out, but verse 44, all these married foreign women and some of the women had even born children, but they had to put them away, basically divorce them, 
send, send them away um, in order to, and it wasn't a racial purity, but it was a, the purity of their religion. You know, don't allow them to come in. Oh, yes, we worship the same God. Well, no, they didn't. So it was a, a very difficult task that Ezra was faced with and, and, and the other leaders there, but they, they repented, and he says, there is hope for Israel in spite of all of this. Um, if they did, and, and some say, you know, we don't know if, if, okay, these are the 113 that are listed, families, people, that maybe there were many that said, okay, I will put aside my, my father's religion and I will abide by my husband's religion. Because in Ezra 6.21, it was they included, uh, you know, foreigners or, or anyone who had joined Israel and, and converted to, to Judaism or, you know, been, been uh, uh, proselytized. So, yeah, that, that was a, a, a possibility. And, and we even saw that previously when they had gone to worship in the temple that they, you know, in, included them. So... Um, Yeah, it, I mean it does. As I understand it, you know, my that and and I've and I have good friends who are Mennonites that you know their daughter married a you know member from another state. You know, is like that they wanted to maintain. And it's I don't know all of the reasons. You know, um, if it if it's this sort of thing of just maintaining, you know. That almost sound, I don't know, you know, but just maintaining the purity of, you know, yeah. And it was important for Israel. One, one guy I read said the, the greatest threat, even today Jews, you know, believe this, that the greatest threat to Judaism isn't anti-Semitism, but that it's intermingling, not racially, but religiously. And, you know, now... We would say they need to take the next step in following their their Messiah, who they many of them have have missed. We'll see later in Nehemiah. I think it's chapter ten. This isn't the last time they're faced with this very problem. Send them off to Babylon, they come back and they're still 
mean, I sit down and confess my sins and pray, okay, here I am again, and it's the same cognitive sins that I'm always confessing to you. And, you know, it says if you confess, and he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Okay, so that gets me clean. But I don't pray for the sins of the homosexuals and the other things that are going on. And maybe they'll forgive if we didn't do that. Maybe I need to be expanding my confession category to not just be me, but be wider and broader and deeper. And I never thought of that, but I like to do it on up mine. Yeah, I got enough. <laughs> It is, and, and, and we've said it, you know, it some reason it clicked in 2021 that it's harder to pray for some leaders than others. I mean, at least it's harder to pray for their well-being, their, their spiritual condition. And, and, and I don't know. I mean, I guess you never get too old to learn, and it's like, oh, wow, I should be praying for these people. My list is probably the same as your list. It's like, oh, I... How, how can I pray for that person? And it's like, and then, you know, save for the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all, you know, just as guilty. So corporate prayer, corporate repentance, it's like maybe it's not a, a, a typical um, doctrine that we, because we think of it as the individual, you know, but that we, we should pray for, you know, the sins of our nation, and I don't know, you know, you don't want to think about it, but even our, our church or our Sunday school class, you know, you know, pray for that in a, in a corporate sense as well. So that means we're moving into, you know, Martin Luther time of, uh, you know, three hours of prayer a day. But he said, I'm so busy, I don't know how I'll get everything done if I don't pray for three hours, you know, to start. Okay. In two weeks, we'll, we'll begin, just turn the page or maybe a couple pages to Nehemiah chap, chapter 1. But next week, Bob will be here. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your word. And God, we are so often disobedient and unfaithful. But we know that we have your, your promise that you're faithful and just and will forgive our sin if we confess our sin. God, make us be a repentant people. God, show us how we, how we should pray for our leaders, for those around us, those that we know may be different, different groups. But God, always make us sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in in convicting us of, of the sin of the, the two-by-four that's in our own very eyes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.